Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. Well, here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. Really excited today to do our PCA One-on-One interview with Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors. Uh, Steve has been an outstanding college and professional basketball player, been a general manager of the Phoenix Suns, a uh, top-notch uh, commenter, commenter on uh, uh, professional basketball on television, and now uh, two amazing years with the uh, Golden State Warriors, Steve, oh, and also has been a member of the Positive Coaching Alliance's uh, National Advisory Board for many years and a big supporter. Steve, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Jim. So I want to start right out with your team values. When I first read about these, I, I created a little acronym to help me remember, JMAC, Joy, Mindfulness, Compassion, and Competition. And the um, first thing that strikes me is I find it interesting that competition is the last one on that list. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm not sure there's a significance to that, but I suppose maybe it's uh, – almost subconscious that, uh, that that joy would be the first one um, because I think that's really critical uh, no matter, you know, what uh, age you are or what level uh, of sport you're playing. Um, it just seems like it should be fun. And, and I was, I always thought that I played better if I was enjoying it. And uh, if the team was having a good time and enjoying the process, um, those also tended to be the best teams I played on. So, uh, I, I think it's 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 probably no coincidence that joy is number one on that list, but uh, the other things are are all just important factors. Um, and competition, it almost goes without saying, right? I mean, at the NBA level, any professional level, it's so competitive. Um, so maybe that's why it's fourth, as, again, subconsciously. But uh, but yeah, those are all the things that are really important to us, and the values that we try to impart every day. I want to come back to mindfulness, but the compassion piece is interesting. I noticed um, a really, uh, I think, iconic moment during um, the playoffs um, when Seth Curry drove to the basket and three guys uh, popped over on him. Um, I think this might have been the, the uh, Oklahoma City series. And he uh, dropped the ball to Draymond Green um, this was a moment when that easy layup would have been really helpful for the team, and Draymond could not handle the ball, and it, it bounced out of bounds. And as Draymond is running back, uh, Steph Curry goes up to him and gives him a fist bump. Uh, and we saw other examples during the playoffs when uh, a player, a star player would make a play, and another player on the team would not come through, and the star player would yell at him. And I just found, in terms of the compassion, that seemed like a, a really great example of compassion for your teammates. Yeah, and I think compassion really uh, <clears throat> is encompassed by a lot of different things. Um, when I, you know, refer to it as one of our team values, um, not just on the floor, you know, in a in a situation like that that you mentioned where. You know, maybe somebody makes a mistake and his teammate goes over and high fives him or fist bumps him. Those are really important moments. Um, but it's every day. It's, um, you know, the, the coaching staff having compassion 
for the players knowing how hard their jobs are, you know, um, especially at the professional level where you're getting traded and you're getting booed and you're getting injured. And um, there's, you know, it's a dream job. It really is. But there's a lot of uh, adversity at the same time. And uh, so I, I think it's part of the reason compassion is kind of part of our group of core values is that it's important for the players to know that we don't think their job is easy, that we know how difficult it is. And then it's also really important, as you just mentioned, for the team to have compassion for each other. Every player is different. You know, Michael Jordan uh, is so much better than, you know, the rest of the team um, that he may not see the game, you know, the way that I did, for example, as the, you know, eighth man on the, on the bulls back in the day. Um, And I can't, imagine the pressure that he's under being the superstar asked to carry the team and all that. So compassion, I think between team members is critical Um, understanding that everybody's got different pressures on them, but acknowledging that um, in a daily manner um, really establishes, I think a good tone for the team and and kind of establishes uh, just a, a good routine, a good environment to work in. You know, um, just thinking about the the business aspects of the game and how, uh, you know, players who were integral to your championship run uh, a year ago and and to your almost championship run this time, and now they're gone. And people know that. Um, Does that make it hard to establish a relationship with players when they know that, you know, in spite of how well they play, they could be, uh, you know, they could be traded? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a fact of life in the NBA and and in all professional sports. Um, getting traded, getting cut, um, whatever whatever it is. Um, so you, it's a very strange world. You you can develop these beautiful relationships um, with players, and the next second they're gone, and and you're really never going to spend that time again in your whole life with that person you, you you're going to maintain a bond and you'll, you'll see him uh, or her you know at a uh, at a reunion down the road possibly um, but really that daily interaction uh, can just be gone at a moment's notice and I think that you understand that as you um, go through your journey as a professional athlete or as a coach but I think for me as a coach important to acknowledge that right away like um you know I, I tell our guys every year the reason we make a lot of money is really not or not the reason but the, the the reason we earn the money that we make is not so much because we come to the gym every day and play basketball we've been doing that for free our whole lives we love doing that the reason we earn it is because of the upheaval in our lives, uh, getting getting traded, having to move your family, having to take your kids out of school, um, you know, being ripped apart from teammates who you really love, maybe a city that you love to be in. But that's what we all sign up for. You know, that's the deal. And it's important for professional athletes in particular to understand it's a hell of a deal. You know, you, you get paid a lot, you live a great life, but it's it's not – hundred percent positive. There's, there's some adversity. There's some negatives that go, uh, that come with it. And we all sign up for that deal, but within the context of, you know, that sort of agreement, um, you make the most of each experience of, of every day. You make good friends. You try to have the best experience possible. 
with your team. And then, you know, you, you are aware that it's not going to last that long and, uh, and you're probably going to have to move on. Well, that, that's a great uh, reentry back to mindfulness. Um, you know, I think some people, when they think of mindfulness, they think, oh, it's just being, you know, being focused and, you know, paying attention. Uh, what does mindfulness mean to you and how do you see it playing out with your team? Well, it it it, um, it encompasses a, a couple of different things. Um, one is being focused and, and being aware, not only um, of the moment, um, whether it's in practice or in a game, or at home, but on an off night when you're with your family, uh, enjoying a you know a, a quiet night. Um, just being mindful is uh, you know being aware of your circumstances. Um, that translates for most of us to being incredibly grateful for the opportunity. Um, it's one of the things that I really took from Greg Popovich, you know, playing in San Antonio. He would talk about it a lot. Um, he calls it the accident of birth. You know, by the accident of birth, you know, this entire team is gathered together playing basketball for a living, having a great time. Um, you know, we were all lucky to be born into a situation. Maybe it was great parents. Maybe it was uh, uh, great coaching. Maybe it was great genes. Um, for many of the guys, it's all of the above. Um, but the awareness, the mindfulness, that just how lucky we all are, um, it makes coming to work every day uh, more fun, and it makes it easier to deal with so-called adversity. Um, you know, let's face it. The adversity that I talk about in general for the professional athlete is not life-threatening adversity. It's it's career adversity. It's uh, getting your feelings hurt, you know, getting booed, uh, getting your your family, you know, uprooted. But it's still, you know, in the context of living this wonderful life. And so it's being being mindful of how lucky we are. Being being mindful of. Uh, but just the, the what's happening that day, making the most of that day. And then ultimately, if you have that atmosphere, I think you just have a happier team um, with that awareness of uh, how good we have it. Yeah, you mentioned gratefulness right off the bat. And the, the two words that go together in my mind are mindfulness and gratefulness. That um, I think you said it really well. Um, you know, no matter – how bad and and that seems to me be part of the the mindfulness thing too is i i'm uh, i'm here talking to you which is man i'm really lucky i get paid to uh work at positive coaching lines i get to interview people like you um but my mind might be thinking about oh man that that uh, grant i didn't get and uh you know it's my, the mind just goes all over the place and if we can bring it back into the body and and realize wow we're really lucky to be here in this moment um do you feel like that's that your players I, I know how uh, I read the, the, you know when Phil Jackson was introducing meditation and I read articles that were kind of cynical like the players were kind of blowing him off on it um, do, you, do you feel like your um, the Warriors are uh, you know really are they into meditating are they really picking up the mindfulness thing you know uh, we've done a little bit of it uh, we have a, uh, a yoga instructor who comes in once every couple of weeks, it's a it's a voluntary thing amongst the players and coaches. Some of the guys do it. Uh, my first year with the Warriors, we had a uh, sports psychologist who was a wonderful guy who uh, 
his name's Chris Johnson. He's now working full-time with the Pirates um, in Major League Baseball, but he would work with our guys individually and as a team, and we would do some some breathing and some mindfulness uh, training before games. But it's not something I've done a ton of. One of the things that uh, I've learned as a coach is it's got to be really, really built into who you are and what your daily routine is. And with Phil, I think meditating was such a huge part of his life, his daily routine, that it it just translated. It it seemed like it really worked. And for me, it's more of a part-time thing. I meditate at times. Um, I don't do it every day. Um, I don't want to force it on the guys because it doesn't feel as much a part of who I am consistently. And so um, I I try to to keep things consistent just with who who I am, not so much, you know, things that I've picked up from other coaches that I institute. It it has to be incorporated into my own personality and and our our players. And uh, so I try to, to introduce things when they feel comfortable. You know, um, there's been a lot of talk and written, things written about the, the Warriors culture, and that's a big part of what Positive Coaching Alliance tries to um, promote with, with coaches and youth sports organizations. Um, and we define culture as the way we do things here, uh, make it really simple. <clears throat> One of the signature things we do at PCA is we we start every staff meeting and every board meeting with something called appreciations and triumphs where everybody has the, the floor open and you can say, hey, so-and-so really helped me with this. I really appreciated it. Or we had this big win. Um, are there specific things that you do with the Warriors that set the kind of culture you want the team to have? Yeah, it's um, it's really about the daily routine and, and, you know, what practice feels like, uh, what our daily routine consists of. And what we try to do is relate everything we do to those core values. Um, so you talk about joy. We want every day to be fun. You know, so we actually do a lot. We have, you know, a sense of humor is a big deal with us, with our coaching staff, with our players. Um, we show a lot of video like most teams do where you go over strategy Um, we frequently splice in funny stuff whether it's movie clips that might relate to something that happened onto the court uh, or maybe just some youtube clips that we find funny or something in the in current events that doesn't have anything to do with basketball we might show Um, our guys are constantly rousing each other talking trash to each other laughing joking and so you know we want that to be a constant every day. We want joy. Uh, the mindfulness comes in terms of how we practice. We want, once practice begins, we want them locked in. Um, the competition occurs every day. We keep score, you know, in our drills. We want, whether it's a shooting competition or, or a, a scrimmage, um, we want, we want to keep a tally because we want to, um, encourage that competitiveness and bring it out of the guys because they're all very competitive to start with. And the compassion, um, you know, we've brought in a lot of people to practice, um, to tell their story. Um, we've had Make-A-Wish kids come in uh, at the invitation of our players. Uh, we've had uh, we've had uh, authors come in. Um, uh, last year, we had Michael Lewis come in and talk to our guys about the, 
the um, the process that he goes through when he's writing a book. So we we try to show compassion not only through our own actions, but by by hearing other people's stories. And and so when you when you kind of consistently have a theme to your practices and your daily gatherings, that becomes your culture. That becomes who you are. And um, the guy who really got me to get my thoughts together on that front was Pete Carroll. Um, it was, I went up to visit Pete two weeks, two years ago when, after I had taken the Warriors job and I uh, went up to watch C, the Seahawks training camp and went into Pete's office and he said, uh, first question, how, how are you going to coach your team? And I said, uh, you mean like what, uh, what offense we're going to run? He goes, no, 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 that stuff doesn't matter. He goes, I, I'm talking about what's, what's your day going to be like? You know, what, how are you going to coach your group? What's your atmosphere going to be like? And it was, it was just a fantastic conversation because I had all this stuff in my head, how I wanted things to be, but I hadn't processed it. I hadn't formulated it. And he's the guy who sort of taught me, you know, pare down what you want your core values to look like and then tailor your, your daily routine around those core values. And it was, it was fascinating. And, you know, Pete told me he's, sort of, you know, figured all that stuff out over, you know, 20 years, 30 years of coaching and refined it and changed it, you know, from time to time. But for him to share that with me really allowed me to get off on a, on a great foot with the Warriors. You know, I was at a conference recently and uh, Pete was not scheduled, but he showed up and, and gave a, he actually had an incredible conversation with Michael Murphy, who, um, he wrote a book many, many years ago um, called In the Zone, maybe the first sports psychology book ever. And he said, he mentioned his friendship with you, and he said something. I want to read exactly what he said because I thought it was so powerful. We help players develop a vision of who they want to be, of their best self, and get agreement with them on that vision. Our job is then to keep that vision in front of them and prove to them that they can become the best version of themselves. Um, any any reaction to that? I mean, some people would say that's pretty Pollyannish when, in the NFL or NBA, which is you know, you know kind of a cutthroat sport in some ways. Well, um, that's exactly what Pete talked about when I visited him. Um, he said, "We're basically we're all in the development business. You know, we're all player development coaches. Whether you know whether you're the head coach or you know the linebackers coach, special teams coach." shooting coach in basketball, whatever, we're all just trying to get players um, to be better uh, individually um, so that their careers go well and so that our team plays better. And I think he sums it up perfectly. And, yeah, maybe it sounds cliche or corny to somebody listening out there, but to me it doesn't matter how old – a player is or how much money he makes or if it's a grade school kid or if it's a, you know, a superstar pro athlete, the human connection is so powerful. And when you truly connect with somebody and you know, that person is trying to help you get better, then you're in, then you're in, you're invested. Um, and, and you, cause of course everybody wants the best for themselves. I mean, we're all, we're all human beings, you know, it's not, that's not being selfish. That's being human. It's being driven. Um, and when somebody can help you in that path, it's, it's really powerful. 
Wow, that's beautiful. <clears throat> that, that that really is lovely. Uh, we we say that uh, there are three things kids need to have a great youth sports experience, and the first one is connection. Um, mm-hmm. and coaches will they'll complain, you know, my kids aren't committed to the team, et cetera, and and we say connection has to come before commitment. Uh, which which really wins people over sometimes because like oh that my my players are not gonna they're not gonna commit 100% to our team and our you know our way of playing unless they feel connected to me as a coach and us as a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. That's um, that's well said. And and you know so then the question is how do you build that connection because it's not automatic. And so as a coach, um, you better gain your players' trust right away that's what that's what um starts the connection the trust comes from uh first of all you better know your stuff you know you can't go in there without a knowledge of what you're doing you have to be able to help players with strategy and tips you have to lay a vision for what your team is going to look like um how you're going to play um and then you better let them know that um in an unassuming uh, way, um, a subtle way that you uh, you care about them, and that they're more important than you are, um, and that may be counter to kind of the old school, you know, uh, Vince Lombardi, you know, my my way or the highway stuff. But um, it, it, there's a there's a balance that can be struck, and and the, the best coaches do that. Um, Phil Jackson. Greg Popovich, uh, Lenny Wilkins, you know, I played for all these guys, Hall of Famers, Lute Olson. Um, they had a really unique way of um, gaining your trust, uh, making you feel important, but at the same time, you knew they were in charge. You had total respect for them and maybe even a slight amount of fear. Um, and that's a really tough thing to accomplish, all those things at once. And so, um, and how you go about that is really about how you carry yourself and the, the depth of your knowledge and your ability to connect with all your players. Wow. Um, fantastic. Um, we, uh, there are a couple, um, famous examples where you took, uh, suggestions from unlikely sources. I think, uh, your assistant, Nick, you and, and Leander, uh, Landro Barbosa made suggestions and you took them and they worked out. Um, that's, that's fantastic. How do you, how do you create an environment where everyone's voice, even if it's the assistant as a coach or, you know, the 10th player on the, off the bench where they feel they have a voice and can say something. Um, and then how do you keep that going when, uh, I, I have a professor at, uh, Stanford named Jim March and he said, uh, most ideas are bad ideas. <laughs> you know, most ideas, uh, most ideas should die. Um, you want those ideas to keep coming, uh, but how do you keep people generating them when you don't take them all the time? Well, first you make it clear that everybody's ideas are important, and um, so you listen to them, and you offer your own ideas, and and you also acknowledge that not all of your ideas are going to work out. You know. Um, as coaches, we make mistakes all the time. Um, you can't expect um, every idea that you get from other coaches or players to be right. So what you do is you consider them. And um, 
So in film sessions for, with the Warriors, for example, I will frequently throw out two options to the guys in terms of, hey, we could guard the pick and roll this way or that way. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's genuine. It's not like there's a, it's a trick question. There's a right and wrong answer. There's like five or six ways that you can really play screen and roll, and that's about it. But, um, you know, everybody sort of has to figure out as a group, you know, what, what are the best ways going to be. And as a staff, we usually can pare it down to, you know, maybe two different things. We, we know personnel. We, we study it. We'll talk to our guys about, hey, you know, for sure we're going to send, you know, Russell Westbrook this way or that way. But what about, you know, the next step? What are we going to do here? Let's talk it out. And we'll watch some film. And and oftentimes the guys will just um, start throwing out ideas and we'll consider them. And then ultimately we'll make a decision. And uh, I think that empowers the guys. Um, they're the ones out on the floor, after all. They feel it more than we do. We see it, but they feel it. And um, and when when you – I think when you make that part of your routine and it just becomes – matter of fact that everyone has a voice um that's pretty powerful and then maybe the key is uh when you do something and it doesn't work it's up to the coach to uh take the blame you know um not in a you know pity sort of way but uh with the media you know you never ever say well so and so should have done this you know or you know steph curry really should have done this or that um you just you know you you say boy you know we could have done some things differently you know uh, i probably made a mistake here but um that that doesn't matter at this point we made our mistakes and we'll we'll get better from them that's beautiful we um we talk about something called the mallory moment mallory holtman was a softball player at central washington and this was the sb moment of the year a few years ago where a player on the other team western oregon um, university hit a home run and rounding the bases uh, had an injury and could not finish the home run and so mallory went to the official and said could we could we carry her around they carried her around the bases and uh, we talk about the mallory moment uh, that every player or coach if they continue to compete sooner or later they're going to have their own mallory moment it's not going to look like hers but it's an opportunity to either elevate the game or not and i was um i was really proud of you uh, and proud that you're involved with pca uh, and I'm sure you remember this moment when Kyrie Irving traveled. It was an obvious travel. I think there were only three people in the whole world who didn't see it, and they were the three officials. And you were right by the sideline, and you were you know, making the travel sign. And at a certain point, you realized they missed it. And you kind of smiled, and you walked away. And then afterwards, you were asked about that. And it was a, it was a pretty key play in the game, actually. Uh, afterwards, you were asked about it, and you refused to to blast the officials. And I just thought, wow, that was an example of a Mallory moment where you had an mm-hmm. opportunity to elevate the game or not, and you did. Well, uh, I do remember it. It was actually Russell Westbrook. It wasn't uh, Kyrie. You're right. It was You're just, right. It was Westbrook. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was game one of the West Finals, and um, the the, uh, the official – who was right there, I believe was Monty McCutcheon, who's one of the best in the league. And um, I just didn't, didn't see it. He didn't, didn't, uh, didn't recognize it, whatever. Maybe he wasn't in position to call it. Um, but, um, you know, they make mistakes just like we do. And um, 
yeah, sometimes you yell at them. Sometimes you get a technical foul to uh, to spur your team on. Um, you know, later on in the playoffs, I took a fine uh, during the finals um, when I wanted to protect Steph Curry, and so I criticized the officials uh, directly. Um, and there, all three of those things are part of dealing with the referees. And um, you know, sometimes you're going to criticize them. Sometimes you're not. In, in my mind, um, you only do it if you're trying to protect one of your players, which is um, what I did in the finals with Steph Curry. Um, the Russell Westbrook incident, um, we didn't deserve to win that game. And um, I would not ever go into a media session and say that we would have won if the refs had made different calls. I, I don't ever think that's appropriate. And in that play in particular, he missed it, but we had so many other chances to win. And I thought it was more important uh, to just acknowledge that we were outplayed and we didn't deserve to to win. And um, so I think those are all circumstances that are tough, but it's important for the coach to uh, to do the right thing and uh, and set the example for, for his team. What did you um... – you know, I, I was thinking. You know, when when thinking about you and Pete Carroll, two of the very most positive coaches in pro sports, and and how quickly Pete recovered from the loss of what seemed like a sure victory in the Super Bowl a while back, um, and it seems like you and your team recovered pretty quickly from the uh, the loss in the finals to the Cavaliers. What did you say to your players after that game, and how can coaches of at the youth high school level when they've worked so hard to get to the, you know, the championship and it just doesn't work out. What did you say and what could, what can coaches learn from that? Well, I told them uh, immediately after the game, I mean, you can imagine our locker room was, uh, was just quiet. Um, and uh, I just told them that I felt uh, sorry. I, I was sorry that they, that um, they didn't win. Um, sorry that uh, after all this, the work we put in and the incredible season that we had, that it ended this way. Um, but that there's nothing to look back on and lament or regret because this is part of it. You know, it's um, part of um, being a champion is, is laying it on the line, and you and you put yourself out there. You put yourself out there for for. Uh, failure and for loss and for uh, criticism from fans or <laughs> parents or <laughs> uh, media, whatever. Um, but it takes a lot of guts to to um, to do so, to put yourself out there and, and um, go for it. And it's important to remember that um, nobody um, gets it done every single time. You know, even Phil Jackson eventually lost in the final. It took him a while, yep. but he finally lost in the finals. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's really hard to win a championship at any level. Um, everybody else wants to win just as badly as you do. And Cleveland was still, you know, upset about losing the year before. And, you know, I give them a ton of credit. They, LeBron played an amazing series. Kyrie was awesome. They, they, they turned it around and got it done and they deserved it. So you just, you know, you acknowledge it, you move on. And, and I think pretty quickly you also, especially when you're a little older and you have better life perspective, um, 
you can move on and, and understand it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. Life goes on. Yeah. You know, um, I, I met um, Herm Edwards quite a few years ago when he was coaching the Jets, and um, he got involved with us. And later that night, I was doing a workshop on Long Island for a bunch of soccer coaches, and and uh, one of the coaches came up to me afterwards. I mentioned that I had met with Herm, and, and he said, uh, you know, when Herm became the coach, he uh, I got a call. I'm a vendor to the Jets, and I got a call saying Herm wants to be with the vendors. And I'm thinking, what? And so he had all the vendors come in. He said, you're part of the team. And, and this guy and his kid went to a, a Jets barbecue, and he got to throw the football around with Vinny Testaverde. And I, I mentioned that to Bill Walsh. Um, I interviewed him a, a couple years before he died. And he was talking about the way the, the Niners, uh, everybody in the NFL at that point wanted to be part of the Niners. So they wanted to play for the Niners. They wanted to work there. Um, and it seems like the Warriors have created that kind of a reputation that uh, it's not just Kevin Durant, which is a really big example of this, but it just seems like you've got a style and a culture that people want to be part of. Um, any any thoughts about how that all comes about? We've talked a lot about the culture in the with the team in the locker room, but as an organization, the culture is is pretty amazing, also. It is, it is, and I give uh, Bob Myers. Uh, our general manager and Rick Wiltz, uh, our our team president, uh, a ton of credit for that, for the atmosphere that they um, sort of help create every day. Um, we have, uh, I think, about 150 employees who come to our Oakland facility every day, and uh, we're I think one of the few organizations that has the business side and the basketball side all together in one under one roof. And so we try to do a lot of things uh, connected with the business side. Um, you know, Bob does a really good job of connecting uh, the two groups. And, um, you know, we really do feel like everyone is, you know, trying for the same thing, which is success. And whether it's success in uh, selling tickets or advertising or, you know, um, community service, um, just trying to create, you know, our, our image. Or, or just winning games on the floor. It really does all go together. And so for all those people who are involved, I think uh, if you ask them, uh, people in the, who work on the business side, I think they would tell you that uh, they do feel like a part of the team in a lot of ways. They do feel connected. And that's not always the case in uh, in pro sports. So we try our best to, to make that connection. And and um, as I said, our uh, our front office, our ownership, our, our – uh, President Rick Wells, they, they, they really make that a priority, and our players understand the importance of that, too. And uh, that connection is pretty strong and very important. Steve, uh, thank you for this. I got uh, just one, uh, one and then a quick question. Um, I've heard it said that The Inner Game of Tennis is your favorite book, and I dug it up, my 1974 copy of it, <laughs> in my study at home uh, today. Um, I also um, I picked up the Goldfinch recently because I read that you really like that novel uh, mm-hmm. somewhere. Anything you've read recently you found really interesting? Yeah, I read another um, really good uh, World War II novel called The Nightingale, um, which was uh, along the lines of. Um, Another another book that I read last year called All the Lights You Cannot See, uh, 
World War II, World War II novel, and, and Bob Myers uh, is, is often my go-to guy, and I'll ask him for recommendations, and, and so he's recommended those to me, and, and they're really fun reads, kind of good to, to, you know, take you away from the, the pressure of, you know, the job and the sport and all that. Uh, but going back to the inner game of tennis, um, that was uh, one of the areas where Pete Carroll and I really connected. Um, the first time I sat down with him and we started talking about how to coach our team, he said, uh, have you ever read the inner game of tennis? And I said, I, it was my Bible as a player. I used <laughs> to read it once a year uh, to try to connect my my body and my mind and get myself in the right uh, frame of mind to, to succeed and so it was great to kind of bond over that book with Pete, and I highly recommend it for, uh, for anybody out there, athletes, coaches, uh, written by a guy named Tim Galway, G-A-L-W-E-Y, I believe, and um, fantastic book, and it's something that I really base a lot of my coaching philosophy around. Yeah. So, Steve, uh, you've been a supporter of Positive Coaching Alliance in our movement for a long time. Um, I'd love to just uh, – you know, have you talk about why why are you part of what we're doing? Why are you supporting what we're doing? Well, I think coaching is, is always evolving with the times, and um, I think uh, coaching is is different now from when it was. Maybe when from when I was a kid, um, you know, forty years ago. It's uh, things have changed. Society's changed a little bit, and it's always important for. Uh, coaches to connect with their players because that's how they can make uh, the biggest impact. And I think it's important for uh, young coaches and aspiring coaches to uh, to have good advice, to have good role models. Uh, Pete Carroll, Greg Popovich, um, Phil Jackson, these guys who are so good at connecting with their players because uh, it's not really about, you know, creating professional athletes. It's just about impacting uh, people um, and helping them. Uh, get better in in a lot of different ways. And uh, so anything that I can share like today with you on this podcast or any, in any other forum, um, it's all, it's all sort of connected to uh, the coaching world and trying to, trying to help young people. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, Steve. This has been fantastic and we're going to get this out to uh, thousands of people. So thank you so much for your, your time today. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.